0: we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? I'd love, oh, I'd
1: love, he's got a real chance now. Peter and love. John Walk will take the penalty. Up goes Dion Dublin. Unknown goal from Ruddock! All oh, by break here for Kiwabia!
2: Panister and Bruce in the queue again.
1: Bruce! Score! Goal leg! Little okay. leg! Little leg over the top! Get out now!
3: Now you know him better than anybody probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Uh,
1: oh, and has No!
4: Hello and welcome to Quickly, Kevin. Will he score? Series eight, episode five. I'm Chris Gold. Joining me, as always, Josh Whitaker. Hello. And a man who went to his local hairdressers after lockdown ended with a picture of Jerry Francis and said, "Sort me out." It's Michael. Martin. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: I wish. Hello. <laughs>
4: um, when I wrote that uh, gag, we just all enjoyed. I. It reminded me that in the '90s, one of my. Do you remember in the barbers in the 90s all had like five or six black and white pictures of the same yeah. guys every yeah, yeah, barbershop yeah. everywhere my mate in primary school one of his brothers was one of those guys oh wow of course he was from Essex. so his picture was everywhere
2: oh wow what haircut did he have oh, just, you know where it's kind of a bit shaved on the sides and long on top a kind of feathered flat top I remember being one of them a bit like Gary Barlow in the early um, take that videos yeah, yeah. Was that a French crop? No, French crop was kind of late '90s, wasn't it? French crop was um, was like a number two around the sides and then kind of chopped into on top. I'd suppose would be the terminology. When
4: I think of '90s barbers as well, that wet look gel with the bubbles in it—that's like a luminous. Oh yes, please, please. Yes, please. And like the barber
2: would just grab a fistful of it, and it would set your hair rock solid.
3: I'm not sure if I have told this story in the pod before, but like around that French crop era, there was a rugby game in my school, like during um, like PE one day, and obviously I'd say seventy percent of the boys all had that overly gelled French crop look. Yeah, and it started pissing it down with rain, and the rain was so heavy and so torrential that it basically like diluted all the gel and all the boys' hair. It was all dripping into our eyes, and they had to call off the lesson because we were all just like running around, like, ah, oh, I can't see my eyes. Fewer <laughs> people at the school nurse getting oh. fucking third degree burn treatment for their <laughs> eyes. Wow, that is such a
4: 90s sensation. Yeah, that anecdote has really taken me back. The, the, you can taste it in your mouth when gel is running from rain into your eyes and your mouth.
2: That is such a 90s sensation. Well, um, we'll come to um, the uh, PE at school, or at least we will on the uh, Patreon version of this episode, uh, which has turned into a long debate over games you play at PE at school. But before that, Chris, uh, before we move into the world of Danish longball, uh, again, uh, let's <laughs> hear <it>, the 90 <laughs> o'clock news.
3: From the headquarters of ITN, News at 10, with Chris Scull,
4: Mike Newell sent off... And how Steve Froggett met his wife. <laughs> A couple of big stories this week.
2: Yeah, big names, big stories.
4: Do you send in your stories. If you see anything relevant, get it in. Hello at quicklykevin.com. Jimmy Lyons has done exactly that. Now, I don't know if you're following uh, the Irish League at the moment. St. Patrick's Athletic versus Waterford. It was last week, uh, the 20th of April. 72nd minute, St. Patrick 1-0 up. Mike Newell, assistant manager of Waterford, starts oh, how arguing. Have fallen. So this is um, it's, its quite loose it's assistant here. Assistant manager of Waterford.
3: <laughs> not even <laughs> the manager.
2: Jesus, Mike. Come on, mate. <laughs>
3: First English player to score a hat trick in the Champions League. And that's where we're <laughs> in there.
4: can do better than that. Is it,
2: unless he's just local. He's not local to Waterford, is he? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> My you main memory of Mike out. Newell. Is, um I wonder if I can find I bet you yeah, I can find the picture uh is he had an insane neck on his on his Merlin sticker one year <laughs> his neck was wider than his head there <laughs> we go got it first thing that comes up we'll pop this on our Instagram do follow us on Instagram look at that. <laughs> <laughs> his head's actually thinner than his neck oh my god wow look at that do you think that's a photoshop do you think that's an early no, photoshop that's him oh. at the point his ears come along they disguise the fact that his neck's still further out than his head
3: yeah were it not for his what's his right ear so sort of camera left yeah. ear i'd say it's a good inch wider than, <laughs> than the widest neck. part of his face yeah
4: do you know, I, don't, I don't remember Mike Newell having such a strong jaw. No. He's got, like, he's got desperate Dan jaw. Yeah. You know, you're, you, you thought then, is it photoshopped? I think it's not photoshopped because if someone had photoshopped it, when it was checked, they'd go, you can't put that out. Because <laughs> yeah. Mike Newell's neck looks unrealistic. <laughs> okay, no one's going to believe that. His neck's wider than his chin. How is that even possible? We'll put it on our Instagram. Do go on to it. Yeah, we'll put that on Instagram. Anyway, look, Mike Newman's been sent off. Waterford assistant manager, 72nd minute. They're 1-0 down to uh, St. Patrick's. Do you want to know why he sent off? This is the like real question of sport. No, but you never get it. Arguing about the colour of sock tape.
2: What? <laughs> How the might have fallen.
4: Arguing about the colour of sock tape. Like, I can't really get my head around that. What, on a player? Like, it must be. But also, why are you arguing about that in the 72nd minute? Because surely... Sub. It's got to be a sub who's it's got luminous sock on. tape. Oh, hang on, hang on. I'm just, reading the, I'm just reading the replies now. I'm doing some live research. Apparently, the team this is a tweet from Gary O'Nolan, The team that he's assistant manager of tried to make a substitution. The sub was delayed as the player had shin-high white socks on over his blue Watford kit socks. The fourth oh. official made him put blue tape over the white socks before he was allowed to enter the field of play. Blimey, it's like the USA, it's like a proper Jack Charlton USA 94 situation. What is it with the Irish or people in Ireland getting angry over substitutions?
2: Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, what is it with the English management in Irish games? <laughs> Oh,
4: wow. There you go. Any more on Mike Newell, any more 90s o'clock news stories, do send them in hello at com. But sadly, we've been talking about Mike Newell for so long, we've run out of time to talk about oh. Steve Frogger and how he met his wife, but we will get there eventually. Oh, that's a shame.
2: We didn't allow for the neck, did we? Right. It is the electronic post bag. I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag.
3: You've got mail.
2: I would like to start by... Uh, Talking about substitute goalkeepers, because we discussed uh, recently which substitute goalkeepers had the best career with the least amount of appearances. Yeah. So, uh, Andy Gray, presumably not the Andy Gray, writes in, been catching up on Series 8 and the reference to subs goalkeepers carving out a career playing minimal games. Took my mind back to the Ghanaian goalkeeper Richard Kingston, who played one game for Birmingham City in 2007. He never played under Steve Bruce, then made only one appearance under Eric Black before Alec McLeish arrived, and he never played for us again. By my calculations, he played 165 games in his 20-year career. Jesus. (laughs) Wow. However, that's one hundred and sixty-five league games, 20 years. However, what makes that even more incredible is that he got 90 caps for Ghana. (laughs) meaning more wow. than a third of his career starts for international level. That's crazy. That's Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah that's mad. Um, but there must be... Uh, do you know what? That is impressive. Well, I've got... I've got
4: do, you want, do you want another one? Well, I would say, I would just to say, like 165, that's impressively low, but
2: surely someone's lower. Well, Chris Miller writes, um, it's hard to believe that after eight series, there are still new facets of 90s football being covered. <laughs> <laughs> You're telling us, mate. <laughs> yeah, the latest seemingly being the life of the second-choice goalkeeper. I'd like to present to you the epitome of the career benchwarmer, Leicester and Liverpool's Peggy alf In his 16-year professional career, alf played 39 games. No. What? But in this time, he collected seven winner's medals, all as our new substitute. That's three Worthington Cups, one FA Cup, a UEFA Cup, a Charity Shield, and a UEFA Super Cup. I challenge listeners to find a player with a better game-to-medal ratio than Peggy RFX has 5.57 games per
3: medal. (laughs) (laughs) So,
2: 39 games? 39 games, seven
3: winner's medals. Jesus, that's insane.
2: I'm just,
4: yeah, that's legit. That checks out. That blows my mind because I feel like Peggy Arfizad is much a bigger 90s football character than that.
2: Only 21 games for Leicester. So we've also got, um, I should add Josh Bryan presents us not just with Peggy Arfizad. He adds another one that's worth mentioning is Stuart Taylor. Not as good, but 95 professional games in 19 years. So also bad. But Peggy Arfizad or um, Richard Kingston currently lead the way that's incredible isn't it do you reckon they're just great guys they must be
4: (laughs) it definitely plays a part doesn't it
2: yeah it takes a certain personality to be happy to do that but not the kind of personality you would think would lead
3: to you being a top sportsman yeah i think goalkeepers are just a different breed though aren't they because i remember him at leicester not being first choice that it felt like he played a fair few games yeah so in that period, if he's only played thirty nine games, the rest of his career, he must have played so where like is, where is the rest of his career? Chris, have you presumably you said it checks out, so you've looked.
4: I, I've pulled it up. So yeah, he was at Leicester. Don't hear
2: about your personal life, mate. <laughs>
4: <laughs> so he didn't so he played five games by the time he was twenty four years old. So he joins Leicester in ninety seven, plays twenty-one games, and then leaves Leicester, joins Liverpool, 2000-2003, thousand three, two games. Goes on loan to Stockport in 2001 for three games. Coventry for two for five games. Notts County for three games. Marseille, no more games and retires there.
3: So he's played more than half of his career at Leicester, and that's only 21 games. How do you end up in the Premier League having only played <laughs> five, five ga- games <laughs> in 16 years? There's such a shortage of goalkeepers in the
2: world. That's I mad. remember him being quite good. I do as well. I'm, but I, 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 don't know why I. How do I know? How did I have an opinion? One of the few goalkeepers, as well, to wear jogging bottoms. Yeah, I always picture him with jogging bottoms. I've got to say though, Michael's right that the real mystery is how he ended up at Leicester. Why has he not played a hundred games before he's got to Leicester?
3: Yeah, I wonder whether like a scout has gone to watch another player. And he just happens to play in that game and had an absolute worldie. And they've gone back and gone, I've just seen this goalkeeper. Like, I think I found the next Peter Schmeichel, an untapped gem that is very difficult go, How to is tip. he lobs? <laughs> yeah, come
2: <laughs> on. <laughs> Sorry, Michael, you were, do- you were doing it yourself. You were do- nothing worse than slamming someone when they're about to do it themselves. It's a- I see you now as your-, your personality so interlinked with that of Peter Schmeichel. Um, So yeah, maybe Or maybe they went to watch another player And they just thought That reserve goalie He's knocking in some lovely crosses for the real goalie in the warm-up.
1: He's, he's carried
2: that bag of balls onto the pitch. Absolutely without question for the warm-up. <laughs> or,
4: like, going back to our original point, he's there for camaraderie. That's why he's in the dressing room. So the scout went to watch a game and then he looked down at the dugout and the subkeeper was just cracking everyone up. Morale on that bench had never been <laughs> never seen such high morale on a bench. He's there doing magic tricks, impressions. The scout's like, just not watching the game anymore. We need the sub-goalkeeper.
2: But is there a world in which he's such a good reserve goalie they should have taken him to World Cups as just a reserve goalie? Because he's better at being a reserve goalie than a first-choice goalie. Is. He's the best reserve goalie. It's like a specialist position. Yeah, like, Who's the reserve goalie? Bernard Lama or whatever yeah. it's called. He's not going to be a laugh. Is it? Well, he might be. I've got, That's unfair of <laughs> me. That's really unfair of me. Um, last week, we asked for the best moment when the Super League could have broken away
3: oh, yeah,
2: uh, from the Premier League. A uh, couple of options, both from 1992. We've got quite a few. The start of the 1992 season was the richest, but these are the two I've picked for you. This is from Rob Hills. One could only imagine only 13 games in into the inaugural Premier League season in 1992, the top six <laughs> thinking that the domestic was over. And if it had happened on the Sunday, the 25th of October, 1992, the European Super League would have had Barcelona, Racing, Milan, et cetera, plus Blackburn, Norwich, qpr arsenal coventry and aston villa i think that would have been yeah i think that would have been all right wouldn't it yeah that's not too bad no yeah. do you think that's any better or worse than norwich coventry everton qpr sheffield wednesday and
3: blackburn that's the dream ticket isn't it yeah it's you sort of judge them by how far those big clubs have fallen between then and now don't you Yeah, I mean... It's like Blackburn, you know, they've won the Premier League, so technically they have as much right or more right to be there than, you know, Spurs do. But because they're so far down now... Blackburn, Sheffield Wednesday and Coventry have all played
2: in at least League One since that has happened. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love that to happen to uh, some of the current top six.
4: (laughs) But do you know what, with this top six, like, they never really explained their maths. What I would love to go, like, go, who are the top six teams over the last 50 years? Like, and they go in. Yes. Have like an algorithm.
2: Well, the top six English teams, they would be Liverpool, Man U, Arsenal. Now, I wonder whether Man City have done enough in recent years. I
4: think you have to go, how many top division points have you had since
2: 1960? Since
4: 1960?
2: Yeah. Well, someone, if you'd like to do that at home, (laughs) we would not say no. Now, shall we do a strange hill and then get on with the uh, guest?
4: Let's do it. Yeah.
2: This is from Sammy Craddock. has uncovered a long-forgotten childhood memory in which I placed a certain player alongside giants of the game such as Cruyff and Maradona. The Cruyff turn and Hand of God were regularly enacted in the school playing field or tennis courts if it was too cold or wet. But um, it was in a training game for my local team that I first learned of this player's place in history. In the training game, I came up against a particularly tricky right winger On a number of occasions, he got me with a combination of a double step-over before tapping the ball through my legs and running around me. Each time he achieved this, a cry of Megson came from one of the watching dads on the sideline. Having consulted my Rossman's football yearbook, 94-95, I found a Norwich player with a decorated career who'd obviously rewritten the game in the 80s by developing the art of putting the ball through the opposition legs and bombing around them. Hence, the Gary Megson. (laughs) (laughs) the move was practiced with many old tennis balls at school and I'd always hear the cocky kids shouting Megs as they successfully played the ball through a player everyone knew about Macari Megson with hindsight the bloke on the sidelines has obviously been shouting Megs son (laughs) I must (laughs) I must have called it a Megson on numerous occasions, but was never pulled up on it. I can't even remember a time when I started to associate the move with being a nutmeg and not affiliated in any way with Gary Megson. A part of me still hopes that on dusty African fields and crowded streets of Brazil, young kids still to find a light in successfully achieving a Gary Megson. <laughs> All
3: the best, Sammy Craddock. That's great. I can't think of a player less likely to yeah. make someone than Gary Megson. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's kind of the perfect player, isn't it, the Gary Megson? Uh, so... There we go. Now, uh, this week, uh, possibly one of the most, you know, iconic clubs. If Manchester United were the club of the 90s, Blackburn was surely the club that were at their peak in the 90s and the club defined most by the 90s. This is Blackburn fan and comedian Ian Moore. If you want more of this interview, that was pun wasn't intended, uh, these episodes, there's 15 minutes more of these episodes on Patreon. They also get them. On the Friday rather than Monday. Plus, um, you there are two extra Patreon episodes a month. That's the Steve Bruce Striker episodes with Ivo Graham. And also, this month, me, Chris, and Michael have been through our favourite 90s football magazines of the 90s. And I'm not going to lie to you. It was genuinely some of the most fun I've ever had on Quickly Kevin. Go over to patreon.com forward slash Kevin. You will also get free tickets to the upcoming Zoom shows. But here is the brilliant. Ian Moore. Today's guest is the best-dressed comedian on the circuit, also the only comedian I know who commutes from France to gig. More importantly, when he isn't dressed as a mod or in a beret, he can be found dressed in a Blackburn Rovers shirt. Surely... The football club of the nineties. Welcome, Ian Moore.
0: Thank you very much. Hello, Josh. Uh, hello. Hello, everybody. How are you doing?
2: Very good. Very good. Um Blackburn. Oh, we haven't really we we've interviewed Graham Russeau, who obviously um, you know.
4: And Ian there. Pierce. Ian Pierce
2: as well. Ian Pierce. So I was oh, gonna right. say we haven't really touched on it, but actually, Ian, we've more or less covered it. So <laughs> <laughs> We normally like to start with the same question to everyone, which is, have you ever met a 90s footballer?
0: Yes, uh, I've met a few. i met quite a few. Um, But probably most pertinent to this would be Chris Sutton.
2: Oh, yeah. Scary?
0: Yeah. Uh, Kind of. I think because I upset him. We were doing a pilot show and um, there was something happened and they were talking about people who would go on to be internationals and whether they really wanted it. And I said, well... Chris Sutton's in the studio. Why don't you ask him? Because he, uh, he turned it down, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and uh, it all went very silent in the studio. Oh um, uh, and I could sit because we weren't together. We were in a kind of gallery and the guests were behind us. Uh, and I knew it had gone really badly because Paul Ens was one of the other guests and he came up to me after the show, hugged me, and called me the governor. So I knew it had <laughs> really badly. Is he? I, I know Ellis James
2: upset Chris Sutton as well on uh, on the Premier League show. Do you love him though for what he did?
0: Yeah, it, kind of. It just that whole season seems so utterly surreal, almost like a picture book. It's almost not none of them existed. It is mm. so out of context of what Blackburn have been in my entire life that it it still almost seems like sort of playing fantasy football in a way. Yeah, I mean. It, it was wonderful, uh, but I don't. I still, even now, kind of go. It didn't really happen, did it? it didn't really. Happen. <laughs> I
2: don't think it did actually.
4: <laughs> well, before we get into blabber, we wanted to speak to you about like how well dressed you are. You're always so dapper. So, who would you say? Who do you look up to in '90s football, or maybe beyond, and think they're well dressed? Is there any inspiration from football?
0: No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely not. If you're looking for any kind of sartorial inspiration, football really isn't. It really is not the world to look at. I remember having a a shoot magazine, which I think was from 1976, or it might have been later than that. One of the first shoot magazines, 78 probably, and Frank Worthington was in it, and he was deemed then to be the best-dressed footballer, and he just looked absurd. He he looks like Albino Dracula, the way he (laughs) Back. And it just didn't work, so I've never looked for football for anything like that. Same it's as role models, don't go that way.
2: What about a continental manager, like a like a Pep? Well, I I think Pep's um overrated as a dresser. But well, he's like-
0: not. A, he's not. He's not a dresser, is he? He wears. You know, he's wearing. He's wearing leisure wear basically, but with this kind of top. That's all yeah. he's doing, and and comfortable shoes. That's not dressing up. As far nobody's wearing a cape. Nobody's. <laughs> Nobody wearing some kind of Edwardian frock coat on the on the benches. So, no, there is there's nothing there. I've, I've never seen anything that approaches it.
2: Who was the um the guy that used to manage Exeter? Was it Paul Tisdale? Yeah. So Paul Tis-
0: oh, yes, and he wore that hat. He, yeah, he, he, the he flat cap. Just, he yeah. wore a hat. That was the only really, really <laughs> world. He's got That's all he's doing. Where did you stand on Alan Ball and the flat cap? He looked like he'd lost his whippet or something and (laughs) wandered wandered into the ground. I don't know. I don't think flat. that that was the thing about because I was watching some of the stuff about the 90s again this week. And just how how the Premier League didn't really, as the Premier League as we know it, start in 92. I don't think it started really until Wenger came in and taught Ian Wright how to eat broccoli. That was when... (laughs) That was when the Premier League properly started. Before that, it wasn't really that much different, was it? No. In terms of managers and pitches and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, the, the flat cap was a de rigueur with a lot of managers in those kind of days.
0: He wore it with tracksuit top, though.
2: Yeah, that's a strange combo, isn't it? That, that's a William Hill look. <laughs>
0: not, that, that, there's
1: nothing
2: there. So you you grew up? Did you grow up? You'd support Blackburn. There was the yeah. obviously now bizarrely there was a you know a slight glut of Blackburn fans who must have been my age I don't know if you two Michael and Chris had them at your school had one. I had one at my school yeah one,
4: one guy converted from Spurs to Blackburn and then swiftly converted <laughs> back by the end of the decade <laughs> <laughs>
3: did you have any on the Isle of Wight? No, no we were about five years behind but like anything culturally so by the time that happened it was done and dusted
4: <laughs> but i didn't mind people converting because your kit's so nice i don't know if you feel like that Ian. it's a great kit always has been it's,
0: it's very individual i don't wear kits out the only day i've ever worn a kit out was the day that Blackburn won the Premier League. That's the only time I've ever worn a football shirt out of out outdoors. Um, but I, it was an interesting thing because for a couple of years after we won, there were kids. You know, like I'd be gigging somewhere, Cheltenham, and there'd be kids wearing a Blackburn shirt, and it was just, it was just so. Unreal for somebody who'd never seen a Blackburn shirt outside of his own family <laughs> before. That. That was really odd. Awesome.
2: So you grew up in Blackburn. Were you good? Were you a good footballer?
0: I didn't start playing football in Blackburn. We left Blackburn when I was six. Yeah, and we moved to uh, in, near Kings Lynn in East Anglia. Uh, and I had never really considered football before that, and but I was I was beaten up on my first day at school in Kings Lynn because because of my northern accent, the East Anglia people considered their accent to be far superior, and um, and and let me know, and they were all into football, and at that point I was just six, just turning seven, and the most important thing about football then was badges. I just I just followed a club because of their badge. Like my, I think my first. My first team was probably Coventry because I was so intrigued by the fact that there was an elephant on a bag. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't didn't understand. And that's the way I went
2: for a while. I remember when the American football was on TV in the 90s and I supported the Cincinnati Bengals because they had the best helmets. And there is that kind of weird thing when you're a kid like these little things can make you support a team absolutely do you support blackburn though because you're from blackburn
0: i support blackburn because i'm from blackburn yeah what
2: is that what even is their badge i can't even picture blackburn's badge. rose isn't it
0: yeah it's it's, it's the red rose isn't
2: it it's uh it's oh the it wasn't even
0: then it was just you be you become because i'm sort of separated from my family and cousins who up to that point i'd lived with uh virtually because they lived in a house at the end of the road so you, I became more sort of nostalgic for being back up north. So you, you just then start following your team. It was only, it was only then I realised they were rubbish.
2: <laughs> well, what year would that have been then?
0: That would have been eighty, uh, no seventy wow. eight, seventy eight, seventy nine. Gordon Gordon Lee would have been manager. Noel brotherston you know, hopping between the second and third divisions, really.
2: So it's just you just chosen a kind of run-of-the-mill, middle-of-the-football-league team.
0: Well, yeah, but then then I remember one of my earliest memories was actually going to see Blackburn play. I went to see them play a couple of times before we moved out of Blackburn. For some reason, one of my earliest memories is we're at Ewood Park and I just remember the opposition goalkeeper kicking it. That's all I remember from that match. And another match was maybe a couple of years later than that and it was against Bolton. So it was a real, you know, fiery Derby literally fiery because Bolton set fire to their stand. Oh, wow! Uh, so that was you know, it was reminiscent of the Classico El Classico there with fireworks. And were you doing <laughs> were there big crowds and stuff? No, not really. No, you know, very, very vocal, but not big, big crowds. But then it wasn't a big stadium, you know, that was all rebuilt when at the, at the end of the 80s when Jack Walker started investing in it and started investing in the step before he bought the thing. He started investing in the rebuild of Ewood Park and was uh, apparently on the sly paying some players wages. Like we had Aussie RD Liz and Steve Archibald at the end of the eighties. Wow. Oh, wow. So like, like informally, informally he's, p- he's paying. Yeah. Apparently he was just, you know, putting it under the table. And so <laughs> That's
4: amazing.
0: We, we were Blackburn would like the MLS at the end of the eighties where people were coming with time. So when did
4: Jack Walker become formally part of the fabric of Blackburn then?
0: It was in ninety one, I think. Yeah, it would have been ninety one. because uh, Dougleish took over in October one. Yeah.
2: And you were the bottom of what would now be termed not the bottom, but near the bottom of what would now be termed yeah. the temperature. Struggling,
0: struggling. What kind
2: of states he would park in at that stage?
0: Well, we're building a new stand already by then. But I was watching a, a match of the day of um, a cup tie, Live- Blackburn versus Liverpool, January 91. So this is just before Jack Walker took over. Um, and, you know, we had this this last great hurrah um, on match of the day, which was properly badly edited at the beginning <laughs> of the there is no, there's no kind of s- s- segue between the sound, the, the crowd sound at all. It's just, it goes from riotous cheer to silence and Motson <laughs> talking all over it.
2: I, I think Motson talking all over anything ruins it. Motson, that's-
0: there's no, nobody can remember anything john watson said i agree <laughs> it's just you know it's just a stream of of facts and and just it's nonsense and it's it's the modern it's the modern um prototype for for today's commentators but it's, it's you know silly he scored that's that's the fourth time he scored in the 57th minute with a wind going at the south southeastern it. <laughs> it,
2: it reminds me john watson of um Alan Dedicote the voice of the balls <laughs> you know the guy on the lottery and he'll, he'll have a little fact about each ball that means nothing to anyone <laughs> and I don't mean that as a
0: slam on Alan Dedicote I mean that no, he's a lovely man I work with Alan often but I think you know what I'd actually prefer Alan Dedicote to be doing the commentary over mock. at any point <laughs>
4: So, so back to January ninety one. When Jack Walker took over, he said he was going to make Man United look cheap. Yeah. What are you going? Are you? I guess there'd never been like a City has been now. There's never been a big. There hadn't been a big takeover. I don't think at that point. Could you see
0: glory coming? No. no. I mean, I mean, at that point, we were still in the second division, and we had, and we had David Speedy in our midfield. <laughs> Glory days looked a long way off <laughs> at that point.
2: What did you think was happening then? Did you think this guy's a chancer? This guy's just a bullshit.
0: Well, the feeling was that because he was local, he really meant it. Mm. And and nobody in Blackburn had ever made money before. we so we didn't we kind of revered him in in how's he got all this? Where's it where's it all come from? So if he's got this ambition, you kind of think, all right, well, you know, and the very Blackburn thing, yeah, all right, go on. <laughs>
2: Did he, was he a famous person in Blackburn before? I think he
0: was, yeah. I mean, my my dad knew him, so he was. He was very, you know, he was a well-known figure.
2: Yeah. is it? I'm trying to think if there was anyone before that that did that kind of show. Not
0: locally. I don't, I don't, I can't, I've been trying to think of the same thing. The, the closest I can think of is Delia Smith and Norwich. <laughs> That's a long. Yeah. there's a big gap, isn't there? There's between... a big gap. <laughs>
4: Between a drunken halftime rant and the well,
0: Premier What I mean is a local wealthy personality who invests that much in the football club. That was always the history that, you know, you sort of local carpet magnet would
2: invest
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. in Rochdale and have, a, and have an advert in the cinema. But that would never anything like what Jack Walker did before.
2: Because no. in the 90s, there was some follow-up kind of failed Jack Walkers. So there was Michael Knight and a Carlisle.
0: Oh he tried to start with United as well. Yeah, didn't he
2: it? almost he tried almost bought Man New. And then there was the guy at Darlington whose name escapes me, who bought Tino Espria to Darlington and built did he buy build them like a twenty five thousand seater <laughs> stadium or something. But Jack Walker genuinely achieved it. And also he achieved it when now I mean this I don't mean this as a slight on Jack Walker. He would probably be a very financially poor chairman in the current Premier League.
0: Absolutely. You know, we wouldn't, for that kind of investment now, you'd be toward the bottom end of the championship, really. You know, and he didn't, apart from Shearer and Sutton, he didn't buy stars. Well, yeah, yeah, like it... it, He had Stuart Ripley on the right wing.
4: Your first million pound signing was Mike Knorr,
0: which just sounds... (laughs) Crazy. Even though you win the league a few years, but then he scored in the playoff and got us up. You know, so he paid that money. He paid that money back.
4: (laughs) The the biggest early signing you make, Kenny Dalglish coming in, and I think that must have been the moment you thought, "Whoa!" Because that is huge for a club like Blackburn. Then,
0: well, that was nuts. Because I mean, growing up and playing football. Dalgleish was my hero. I didn't really, because you never saw Blackburn on television. So you didn't, your heroes were kind of remote in terms of Simon Garner, the all-time scorer, or, or Noel Brotherston, this tricky winger who looks like Andy Zaltzman,
1: <laughs>
0: which is a bizarre combination. But you never you never saw your, hero, your team's heroes on television. So Dalgleish was always my hero. So then for him to come, not long after he left Liverpool, because that that FA Cup tie I was talking about, Douglice was manager of Liverpool in January when we played them in the cup, and he was then manager of us come October. Just it was just it's
2: just nuts. So what what did he do? Because Douglice to that point, like he'd managed Liverpool, so it yeah it is not a similar job. It's not like he's you know if like I don't know someone who'd worked their way up like Brian Clough. Brian Clough had worked his way up a bit. But Dalgleish yeah. had only managed a team that contained Ian Rush up until that yeah. point. <laughs> He'd only managed John Barnes. Yeah. So were you? it wasn't like he was a nailed on, this guy is a managerial legend at that point. Not at all. Or is that unfair?
0: Well, up till then, the managerial legends had only ever been at one club anyway. Yeah. So to then, to go to another major club, or, well, I, we weren't <laughs> major... Made- <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, I got carried away. You okay, nearly <laughs> said it without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but to go and try and do it at another club, and hadn't really been done. Nobody had gone been really successful and then gone to another club and said, "We're going to be just as successful." I don't remember that. Yeah. you know, is, are there any precedents for that? I don't think. At I, well, you could say Ferguson, but Aberdeen, you know. I mean even blackburn were above aberdeen i would say in many many ways
2: yes yeah i think you know we'll give you that we'll give them, that's one we will give you um so dale turns up and does, does he start playing good football like how does it
0: i think he kind of gave suddenly these sort of workman-like players up to that point suddenly had this all-time great yeah in the going you can do this you know you it's, you can you know you can do that, and it will put you here, and don't worry about it if it doesn't work he's so he was so phlegmatic it was almost like it was a different Douglas to have been at Liverpool because it I'm not saying it mattered less, but I'm saying that he kind of he it mattered less it mattered. <laughs> in 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 many ways it was he was so under pressure at Liverpool this was kind of his relaxation just sort of enjoying football again with this money to throw at this 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 team. And it just changed people's careers. Ordinary ordinary players up to that point became really good players and knew what they were doing.
2: And when you get good in the Championship, is that the same team that Dalglish has made good or is he already splashing the cash at that stage?
0: No, I think um, he starts to spend the money, doesn't he? um a speedy came in at the end of the 91 season so they were they were starting to put the money in anyway they were starting because for up until that point we'd always been for about three or four years we'd been pushing for promotion and then that 91 the season that finished 91 we've we finished quite low or we were we were struggling
2: 19th according to my uh no
0: you see you see there, you go. We were struggling. <laughs> we were struggling manfully, and so they started. I think they started putting money into it, even even in '91. Like we bought, you know, marquee signing Bobby Mims. We got <laughs> from, uh, from Spurs, yeah. And, and, and then, this, and then, obviously later on, he was replaced by Tim Flowers. just just kind of up in the quality, in little, in sort of incremental bits, you know.
2: Yeah. Until Shearer, there wasn't really like a moment.
0: No. That 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 well that changed everything because everybody expected Shearer to go to United. Yeah, because he was so good and he really so good. Everybody just expected him to go to a big club. That was that changed everything.
2: Before you went up, I need to go through this with you. So you looked certain (laughs) for promotion. Do you know where this is going?
0: I think I know where this is going. You
2: looked certain for promotion, then you lose six in a row. Yeah, and then you on the last day of the season to get into the playoffs you need to win at Home Park at Plymouth, Argyle, which I was at. <laughs> um, and we got relegated that day. We were managed yeah. by Peter Shilton, you were managed by Kenny Dalgleish. What a,
0: what a pair of dugouts that is.
2: <laughs> um, and then you won the playoff final. Were you at the playoff final?
0: No, I didn't go to the playoff final. No, I listened to it on the radio uh, at my student flat in London. I, didn't, I couldn't afford to go to that. I didn't have Sky to watch it. So, yeah, no, just listened to the radio. I remember listening to David Speedy, that David Speedy hat trick on the radio. That was just phenomenal.
1: Henry. We're now playing stoppage time at the end of the first half. Speedy! It's 1 1! David Speedy's goal poaching instincts bring him his 21st of the season. We've played more than three minutes of stoppage time at the end of the first half. Sellers chips it back in, Shilton stretching, they all miss it, and he's got it again. David Speedy scores his second goal in the space of two minutes. Levert must come back into this one if they're gonna stay in Division Two. Speedy's on his way here for Blackburn. He's on his hat-trick. He beats Peter Shilton. It's certainly the goal which will take Blackburn Rovers into the playoffs. And
2: David Speedy has hit a hat trick. Are you, are you following most of it by not seeing it? You're just listening yeah, to it. Yeah, wow.
0: absolutely. Yeah, just listen to it on the radio. And 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 you know, I love radio sport anyway. A real, a, a proper, decent radio commentator can bring sport to life in ways that I don't think television commentators need to. But that was that was also for me a downside of the 90s because the main BBC commentator was Alan Green, yeah. who clearly was so full of self-loathing and hated football anyway <laughs> <laughs> that it would often be a chore to listen that was the my only option was to listen to alan green which is just yeah.
2: he seemed alan green to be f- furious at his lot furious ah. that he was stuck in the cold
0: watching football with mark lawrenson you're a student sitting in this rat infested hovel eating cold baked beans out of a can and you've got this bloke sitting at women going oh it's awful it's awful here they're just they don't i don't care they don't care
2: (laughs) but he was the soundtrack to the greatest period of your life
0: absolutely absolutely him and mike ingham mike ingham would generally, generally do the first half of each half. he'd do the first 22 minutes and then we'd all have to sort of brace ourselves for Alan Grimm. <laughs> <laughs> that was
2: when the BBC had the money to switch commentator halfway through the half. they
0: not been shown to be profligate. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, play final against Leicester, where were you for that?
0: I would have been, again, in my student digs. I would, I would have oh. been, it would have been a Sunday, um, 90... Two. So uh, we were just before my finals, we were living in Finsbury Park in a flat next door to the World's End pub in Finsbury Park. And this was before pubs were open all day on a Sunday. So we were we were on our balcony looking over basically the tube station. And the landlord from the World's End next door, he came onto his roof terrace and said, what are you doing, lads? And we said, oh, we're revising for our finals. And he just brought up loads of crates of beer. (laughs) Come on. When you're on a roll, you're on a roll. Oh, yeah. You know, and and at that point you think, well, you can take your finals another time. This is is Sunday.
2: (laughs) Did you, like, you were living in London then throughout that kind of 90s period. Did it feel like an exciting time to be, like... Did your, the most exciting time for you as a football fan, was it also an exciting time to be living in London? Or is that a complete myth put around by Stuart McConey and Jarvis Cocker?
0: I there's, there's, a, there's, there's these nostalgia fetish shit. I don't remember it like that. I had no money to go out anywhere. I was given free beer by the landlord next door. And that was, that was more than enough for me. It was, it felt, it felt fun to be in London at that time, but I never went anywhere in London. You still, the thing about, big cities in London in particular at that time is that you were still putting your nose up against the window, looking at other people having a good time. You had to, you you had to do all the Britpop stuff, you know, that happened happened in Downing Street. I wasn't, I wasn't invited.
2: (laughs) Alan Green was. (laughs) (laughs) Outside. Moaning about it.
4: (laughs) So we enter the glory period now, the Premier League. What a gilded existence. And straight away, Oglish is doing the business straight away. You're, you're clearly at home there. I think it's at fourth you finish in your first season. Mad for yeah. a team coming up from yeah. the First Division. Yeah. And, and,
0: then, and then second, I think, the next year.
2: You sign Alan Shearer straight away. Why did he not sign for Man U? And I mean, no disrespect. Well, I do, I suppose.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know why either. I, don't, I, don't, I have no idea. I just... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make professional... It doesn't make career sense in any way.
4: I, I always thought, was Jack Walker just paying more money? Was he just paying bigger wages than everyone else?
0: I can't believe that that they would be paying bigger wages for Alan Shearer at that point than Manchester United could offer.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I, I don't see it. And, and also, at that point, Hughes was kind of coming to the end of his career as well. It was the perfect... It was the perfect replacement... So I don't I don't know. He did it again as well.
2: He signed for Newcastle.
0: It's like Yeah. But that was always obvious. That was more obvious yeah. than anything else, wasn't it? Because that was that's his hometown, you know. Maybe he was just making incremental steps because Blackburn's slightly. <laughs> <late for that>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you finished fourth. Did it yeah. feel like did it feel like the Premier League was e- like how did that happen? I don't that that feels to me almost more bizarre than the winning the league. Mm. That you come up
0: and you finish fourth. But again, I think at that point, finishing fourth didn't mean that much then, did it? Finishing fourth didn't get you in the Champions League, no. So finishing fourth, it didn't. It didn't. It's not the same cachet as you get today, for instance. So I mean, it, although it felt great, at any point you just thought, "We're Blackburn, we are going to drop like a stone <laughs> any time now." This, this is just all going to be over. So it felt fun, but it didn't feel real. It didn't feel. Like it could be sustained in any way.
4: Was that always? Were you always like this? Isn't going to last forever, or did you think yeah. this is the new normal?
0: No, no, no. Never thought it was wow. going to last forever. I thought I thought it was always. We were riding high. We were a bit of sort of uh, Icarus about this, and and just you know going, just taking it as far as it would go. But it was never. It was never. For instance, it never felt like right. We're finally back uh, where we belong. This is our birthright.
2: <laughs> how much? How much talk of that was there of the championships of the 1920s? And now you're actually one of the.
0: There was a, There were very few people around from the last time that we'd won. <laughs> I think I think the last time we won it before then was 1914. So I think I think even opposition squads were somewhat depleted at
2: that point. I was looking at the league that year. I mean, it says something about the Premier League, not something, but like as you say about how it's not yet the Premier League as we know it now. So Manu won the league that year, and then the, the second, third, fourth are Aston Villa, Norwich, and Blackburn. Yeah. It, it was possible then for teams just to be, it was such a level playing field that it was just possible yeah. for a well-managed team with some good players yeah, <laughs> to absolutely. do well.
0: And look at the managers there as well. Like Villa would have been Ron Atkinson. Yeah. Norwich would have been Mike Walker at yeah. that point. That would have been Mike Walker and then us with leash. It doesn't like I say, it doesn't feel like the Premier League. It still feel, it, obviously it still is the old first league, it's just a change of name at that point. But it's, it's so many changes that it's gone through since. Yeah. Like the managers you look at in the year that the Blackburn won it, the managers around then were all ex British players, you know, Jerry Francis I wrote some of them down. Jerry Francis, Trevor Francis, Brian Little, Frank Clark, you know, just George Burley. Just workaday British manager.
4: What an average collection of managers that just is. Off it? It. It just it. just
0: really is. He went Ray Wilkins, Joe Royal, <laughs> Alan Paul, <Ford, laughs> Phil Neal. <laughs> well, well,
4: I just kind of on, on that note, right? So you signed, Tim, you signed Tim Flowers and then we come into this season where you win the league. You signed Chris Sutton too, David Batty, Graham so Stuart Ripley, Paul Warhurst. Like, with the benefit of hindsight, these aren't fantastic players. It's not like they were left afterwards and won the league. It actually made, like, looking back now, it's like, wow, how did Dalglish do that? Because this is extraordinary achievement.
0: It's almost fairytale cinematic stuff, isn't it? It's, it's, it's the dirty dozen. It's, it's escape to victory. It's getting a group of individuals who are not necessarily the best at what they do, but they're galvanised in such a way. And obviously, they made such a tremendous start. To, to that season. And it, and, obviously, and it fell away. Again, like we did when we got promoted, it fell away really badly. Yeah. As Ferguson said, what United need to win this league is a Devon lock. And we very, we very nearly achieved that.
2: <laughs> Was there like this feeling that, do you think that's unfair, like looking at those players that, in my memory and my mind, Blackburn kind of bought the title, but actually looking at that, it's not like that. They haven't spent... I know that you know they've spent 2.5 million on tim flowers they haven't spent i know times are different but they haven't spent 50 million on kyle walker do you know what i mean this is
0: yeah. that, and united made um who did they buy that season andy cole they bought in during the season and our most expensive signing was chris sutton at 5 million chris sun <laughs> from norwich Just it's not the same, is it? It's not like they've raided Europe and and
2: no, that that is it's not like when Man City suddenly signed Robinho, is it? It's a very different kind of
0: do you know what it is? It's very Blackburn, it's very, (laughs) very East Lancashire. We're gonna, it's very kind of get a trade, lad. Don't, don't get any any dreams beyond what you can see on the Pennines. There, we're gonna do this, we're gonna build bricks and do it, you know, do it properly like that. and and he did, it worked. Because for whatever reason, I mean, we bought Batty, but Batty barely played in that season. We bought Sherwood. Was it the year before? Yeah, you had Tim Sherwood. Tim yeah, Sherwood. <laughs> Tim Sherwood. <laughs> he was our
3: captain. He was our he was our, he was our captain.
2: Is <laughs> <laughs> the amount of those players that didn't even really get in the England team? Do you know what I mean? Uh, like, uh, so you go of that. The players that did what? Flowers wasn't the England goalie. Lescott was the England left back, so you give. But, but not you even got,
4: first choice, yeah. really. Then because that's
0: Stuart Pearce.
2: Yeah, yeah. So you've got then you've yeah. got Batty and Sherwood. Not really.
0: Yeah, Sherwood wasn't an England player. Ripley and uh, Wilcox
2: on the wings. Not
0: even
4: discussed,
0: really, in England team. No, no, Sutton refused to play. <laughs> but, that, but that was later on, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. that, was, that, that was under Hoddle. But but also, how how
4: many times did these players go on to win the league again? I don't think I'm not sure any of them did. Yeah.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, Shearer looks back on his career now, and Blackburn were his glory days. One of one of the you know the greatest striker the Premier League has had, certainly British born, and he's and Blackburn was his glory. <laughs> day. And when and when, he, and when he went back there with Newcastle, he got booed, <laughs> <laughs> which is nuts. I said, Why would you do that? He's, I, I can't understand football support. <laughs> Well, you won the league,
4: but we've got to talk about, I mean, you nearly didn't. Like the end of that yeah. season, you yeah.
0: almost, you come really close to blowing it.
2: Oh, yeah. Did you, did you believe you were going to win the league at any point?
0: No, 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 no definitely not. There's no, there's no, uh, optimism doesn't reside in that part of Lancashire. The, I don't know if you've ever been there, but there's there's no, there's no hope for the future. And so you, you don't you don't take these things on board. I'd never thought we'd win the league. I always assumed that United would catch us at, at any point because we were kind of, a lot of players had never been at that level before. So there was, there was a, a kind of fear crept in. I think only Dalgleish had been at that level before. There was nobody else in the side who, who'd been close and you could sense there was a jitteriness. You could sense that they'd kind of worked us out as well that, that if, See, for instance, if you look back at a lot of Alan Shearer's goals from that season, he is coming in late. Ripley goes down the wing, gets to the byline, can never, ever beat the first man. <laughs> so it always deflects to the, to the penalty area where Shearer was waiting because he knew that it was absolutely pointless going into the, into the near post. So, and people kind of work that out. Other teams kind of work that out. So we, we just kind of run out of momentum um, towards the end. And that last day was just... I just expected... It just United were playing West Ham, you know, and we were playing Liverpool. Where did
2: you watch that?
0: I watched that in... Uh, it's a pub that no longer exists, but the, the Surrey Oval Tavern, because I lived in, uh, in the Oval in South London at the time, and we, my wife and I went to the Surrey Oval. Which my wife hates football and will never go anywhere. To watch, certainly not go to a pub to watch football. I, that was the one day I went out, wearing a Blackburn shirt. And was it a Blackburn pub? No, no, there wasn't a Blackburn pub. There's, there's not that many Blackburn pubs in Blackburn. You know? <laughs> there certainly wasn't one in South London. <laughs> and it was mainly, there was a lot of, and I'm not making that cheap joke about United fans being down South, but the, the pub was full of blokes wearing United shirts. I was the only one there in a Blackburn shirt. And I it had it had a hole in the back, it had an iron like the shape of an iron hole <laughs> in the back because my mum and dad split up a few days a few years before and my dad just started ironing everything as if you know to kind of prove that who needs them and um <laughs> and he, he just burnt this hole in the back of the only blackburn shirt i had but that's the shirt i wore
2: what did that morning feel like
0: oh just just un- it just so surreal it felt a bit like the fa cup when you are when you are a kid that you'd get up really early and you'd follow the coverage and the coaches and all of that and obviously there wasn't necessarily that coverage but it was that same kind of excitement and nervousness and adrenaline that mm. you know this could be something that you've never experienced before and 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 the fact that that even my wife came to the pub with me with just everything it was just bigger than it had ever been you know uh,
4: and did you think going home that night that you would just experienced the high water mark of Blackburn Rovers or did you think, I'll be back in that pub next I year. felt
0: lucky to be alive at one point because <laughs> the, all the United fans started turning on me because at the end, when we'd won, I jumped up, uh, I was, was giving it, was really, you know, just, I'm crying. I'm literally crying and going, <laughs> we've won, we've won. <laughs> And all these United fans started circling the table that me and my wife were at, I mean, and it was quite intimidating. And then just this huge group of, of Asian lads who'd been over the other side of the pub just came and just threatened all these United fans and moved them to the other side of the pub so that we could get out. <laughs> it was beautiful. Just a beautiful, you know, world moment. And
2: what <laughs> did you do that evening? I
0: can't I think I just got very drunk, very drunk indeed. I knew there'd never be anything like that. Going back to your question, no, that was it. It was only, it was like, uh, you know, it's like when Clark Gable won his first Oscar. It was like, there's only, sure It's only held one direction I can go in now. And I knew that that would be our direction.
2: Really? Did you?
0: Yeah. And did you care? No. (laughs) (laughs) No, because because it seemed so unreal to be there in the first place that it didn't matter. It didn't matter. You know, it, it was inevitable that we couldn't sustain it, I felt just it just just would not happen that other other clubs united especially would not tolerate that and they'd spend money and that you know and that we'd won it you know part of the reason i think we won it was that cantona was banned for the, their last four games united wasn't it? So there were there were little things that played in our benefit there but it like it didn't matter it didn't matter at all i didn't want four in a row or anything like that it wasn't greedy it just i just i got that it starts going wrong
4: really quickly doesn't it like almost five minutes later (laughs) (laughs) you say you didn't expect them to sustain it but i mean six months would have done wouldn't
0: it It, it, you knew it was going badly when dalgrish decided he was going upstairs and everybody just thought why why (laughs) but you know what's going to happen why are you doing that (laughs) so what was the reasoning was he just i don't know i think he was spent in a way I i think he'd certainly towards the end of that season the interviews he was doing it was, it was a very cool and very, you know nobody's worried and all of that but I think he was spent emotionally spent anyway after, you know all the stuff with Liverpool and then the Blackburn thing I just, I think he thought I've proved a point I've done it you know yeah. you don't have to do more in the same vein that with Blackburn in general there's only one direction he could possibly go in so why wait for that why not just get out when you could
4: it's interesting as well you said he kind of went in there just to kind of relax a little bit and then suddenly he's turned you into one of the top teams in England and yeah. that's the pressure that comes with that if you went there for a holiday yeah. suddenly it's not a holiday
0: no exactly the pressure returns doesn't it you know once you've created this and so why not? Why not leave at the top? What you know? What other managers can leave at the top? That was why it was a strange decision when he went, you know, went to Newcastle and then went back to Liverpool. It just...
2: Yeah. Do you do you have very fond feelings towards Kenny Dalglish then?
0: Well, I loved Kenny Dalglish when I was a kid because I was number seven when I played football and he was everything I wanted to be. And also later in later years, and we're coming to chutney here, Josh. So just just hold fire for a second. <laughs> i did a i did a tv show with um the guys on bbc radio and kelly cates and i was banging on about chutney as i inevitably will at yeah, some point
3: of course and i
0: gave uh, of course and i gave kelly a jar of chutney and then this was just before christmas And then just after christmas i was doing that show again and kelly came up to me and she said my dad loves your chutney he, he was raving about it on christmas <laughs> day That's the high point of my career.
2: (laughs) (laughs) What flavor was it? What type of chocolate?
0: I think it was was spicy apple and walnut.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, Kenny's got quite a uh, refined taste. I couldn't see his replacement, Ray Harford, going for that. Ray Ray Harford's got Branston Pickle written for him like (laughs) a stick of rock, hasn't he? (laughs) What did you, What? so was Ray Harford his assistant? That then yeah. just got given the, which is never really. Well, I suppose it works at Liverpool in the back in the day, but
0: it did. It didn't feel like was, you were. Was, I think, when we won the title that day. Um, that the first person that Kenny Dalglish hugged, because obviously we were playing at Liverpool, was Ronnie Moran from the old Liverpool boot room days, which was a nice touch. I thought, you know.
2: Yeah, he didn't hug Ray Harford though.
0: I, don't, I think he was already down the pub, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of did you sign in? Like did. Walker
0: stopped putting money in or was it like how does it I bet, I was trying to work that out and I couldn't I don't think there was I don't think there are any more signings. I don't remember any major signings. Lars Behem, maybe. There's this big money down the road,
4: isn't it? Like when Hodgson comes in, you get, I think seven million for Kevin Davies and I think Nathan Blake is always the one that sticks out for me for four point two million, which is mad
0: yeah. There was, there was money down the line. I mean, we started buying um, – you know, we started buying who – who do we buy? Martin Darling. Oh, yeah, <laughs> That's of another. course. You no, know, I mean, but we started – again, we we kind of went back to that that place where we were at the end of the 80s where we were buying people way past their best. Yeah. Rather than people who, who were going to be hungry and offer something. So it was always – Always inevitable.
2: It feels like that season after you just kind of rested on your laurels or something. But you just got off to a bad start. And yeah. like, and then you're in the bottom half. And like, how do you suddenly become so shit? <laughs> well, Ian, Ian, like,
4: I wanted, uh, Ian,
2: I wanted to ask
4: you it's a specific incident. David Batty and Graham are so like, the implosion is so visible on the pitch as well. Yeah. How do you feel as a fan when you're watching two of your own players fighting like
0: that? Well, first of all, you kind of go this is inevitable. This is Graham Lasso and David Batty essentially sharing a dressing room together. When was it not going to kick off at some <laughs> point? It's it, it's like Sean Bean coming up against Helena Bonham Carter. You wouldn't have them in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lasso always said that it, it wasn't, there was nothing specific on the night, but it had been building up through training that Batty was just, constantly on his back constantly telling them he's not good enough in the wrong position not putting in the effort
4: blackburn have shown little fighting spirit in the champions league this season and even tonight they got it wrong amid unprecedented scenes teammates graham lasso and david batty came to blows with only four minutes of the game gone and only the intervention of other blackburn players prevented a full-scale brawl Amazingly, oh,
2: neither was booked, uh, but both will now surely face a heavy club fine, at the least. Blows.
0: But they weren't the only people who, who were fighting that night. It's often forgotten that Sherwood and Hendry nearly came to blows as well on really? the same night. I didn't know that. This is this isn't playing in Europe. This is a stag night. <laughs> 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 so what was going? What is that? Just the,
2: what's <laughs> happened? They've won the league. They're, they're doing badly in the european Cup but teams always do badly in the european Cup in the yeah. 90s like what's gone yeah. on
0: they, they I, I just think it was the the release of the pressure of winning it and they'd lost that hunger a lot of them but some of them still had a hunger I mean david batty I think because he wasn't really involved in the in the premiership winning team then then maybe he was you know, more fired up than other people, and if he saw any sort of lapse in other people he would he would be on their back. It's so I don't know why why does it fall apart like that? They didn't have Doug leash, so they didn't have that figure in the dressing room that was so respected for their achievements and their ability. You had Ray Harford, who you know a tough guy by all by all counts but you know, not respected necessarily in football in terms. So it was just, yeah. like I said, it was inevitable. I just thought they might wait more than three months. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I said the big moment for me when it, you know the writing's on the wall is when Alan Shearer leaves, because
0: that, yeah. that's that's your man.
4: How, how did you feel when your talisman leaves like that?
0: Well, I mean, I thought fair enough. You know, he, he, he got us to a point where where we were never going to get without him. He, you know, he didn't do it single handedly, not by any means, but we, without him, we wouldn't have got there. And he was going, he wasn't going to United. He wasn't going to another near rival in that sense. He was going home. Yeah. So I, again, you you kind of thought, well, fair enough. I'm, you know, I
2: totally, um, maybe I haven't got that steel. It, even if I was a footballer, I don't have that competitive steel, but, and may, or maybe it's just being schooled at being a Plymouth fan, but still not. So there was, you know, when there was rumours in the summer about Plymouth manager, Goethe, who's quite well-respected in the lower leagues, maybe taking a championship job. And there's yeah. p- fans getting angry. And in my head, I'm going, well, I could totally understand that as a decision were that to happen. I could, You can understand that this is these people's lives and careers and they're not living... T- Alan Shearer didn't grow up giving a shit about Blackburn Rovers like do you know like and yeah. I don't I don't know if you have it with West Ham skull but I don't bear people ill will when they leave my club in the way that loads of people really really do like you say Shearer getting booed or it, it blows my mind really
4: yeah I think West Ham, West Ham are the scale where we're just on the cusp of bearing ill will
2: for, for everything <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, you've been on that cusp an awful long time yeah <laughs> <laughs> Like a bungee jump over the press. <laughs> Do
3: you have it with with Manu, Michael? Do you bear it? No, but will? I think it's a very different beast when you support a club at that level. The only time I think it slightly irked me was with the Rooney thing because it felt like he was leveraging for a better deal. It's only been players that have been sold that I've thought, "Oh, I'm am sad they're gone." Like when yap down. I suppose no one leaves Manu for to further their career. Well, unless they go to Real Madrid, unless you're Ronaldo or yeah. something like that.
2: But you did. You didn't. Bear, Shearer. Who replaced Shearer? Did they buy anyone or did they just repromote Mike Newell?
0: <laughs> it must have been Newell brought back because Sutton wasn't long behind a couple of years maybe because he went down. He was in our relegation team.
2: There's a mad kind of thing that then happens that season, which is Ray Harford gets sacked. That's not the mad bit. And then <laughs> I just can't believe they sacked Ray Harford. I mean, <laughs> he got sacked. And then there's an agreement to bring in a man probably more or less unknown to all of us at that point, apart from as one of the people you occasionally hear about on Gazetta Football Italia, Sven-Goran Eriksson.
1: Yeah. yeah. It,
2: which suddenly felt like, oh, that's quite an exciting thing to be happening at
0: Blackbird. But again, it was one of those ridiculous things that you hear that you go, well, that's not going to happen. That's, that's never suddenly you know Ray Harford hasn't been pushed aside for Sven Jor and Eriksson to come in that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and you're right none of <laughs> that makes sense it was like it was like in 2010 i think when when there were rumors that Ronaldinho was going to sign for Blackburn you know you know you just somebody somebody's bored in a rumor mill somewhere and and but it, and it never happened with Sven obviously it never happened and i don't think it was ever going to happen yeah
2: <laughs> And then Roy Hodgson comes in. Yeah. And how do you feel about Roy? Well, here's
0: the thing, right? Roy has done very well at every club he's been at and, and you know, and did okay at England. But he's, he's awful at uh, Blackburn and pretty rotten at Liverpool. There's a kind of downbeat element to Roy, which I think works at a club that has a level of optimism. And as Blackburn has no level of optimism, it kind of two downbeats meet in one, meant they we were dragging each other down. <laughs> yeah, Something just not there was. It was never going to galvanise a club that was in trouble. I think is what I mean. It wasn't forever the yeah. there. There was, and, and obviously, you know, he's okay. But what we knew about him when he came in was that he'd been manager of Switzerland. Nobody, all right, had been at Inter and all of that, but everybody just remembered him from Switzerland and they were dull. (laughs) Yeah. You know, all all Brian Moore ever said about Roy Hodgson was that he spoke four languages. Well, (laughs) to be honest, that's not necessarily the main main requisite for managing Blackburn (laughs) at
2: that point. No, that's not going to galvanise Kevin
0: Davis. $7 $7 million for Kevin
2: Davis. He was shocking as well,
0: wasn't he? He would do really well at Southampton, rubbish yeah. at Blackburn, and really well at Bolton. There's a trend emerging.
4: <laughs> well, out goes Hodgson. And I was so excited about your next appointment, Brian Kidd, because there was always so right. a suspicion at the back of my mind that maybe Brian Kidd was the man and yeah. maybe he was actually pulling all the strings in. So he gets this opportunity at Blackburn.
0: Were you as yeah. excited as me? Yeah, Completely, completely believed my own hype that I, like you, he was he was the main factor behind behind United success, and I actually said that I did a gig uh, with Sir Alex Ferguson a PFA lunch where he would be doing a and A, and then I'd go on and do a set after him, and I had to sit with him all through the meal next to him, a, a really nice man, and you know, and really sort of down to earth, considering, and he, he obviously didn't necessarily want to be there. But he just kept saying to me, are you going to eat? Are you going to, you going to eat something? And I went, I don't eat before work ever. I don't, you know. He went, oh, all right, all right. Do you want a drink? You want a drink? Do you want a drink? I mean, I don't, I don't drink before I go on stage. He went, well, but you do want a red wine? Because I brought my own. And he le- reached under the table and got his own bottle of red wine. <laughs> 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 man's an absolute legend.
2: So what did you talk to him about?
0: we talked about Blackburn quite a lot because this was at the point where, uh, this was some years after, but Steve Keane and the whole Venki thing had been, had been going on. And he said, you know, what a rubbish appointment that was and, and how it was all a bit murky and, and all of that and then we talked about blackburn and who he'd liked and he always admired shearer and jack walker and, and kenny douglas and all of that so it was a really did it he was have a really... any
2: kind of strange like obviously did he have any like hot takes that you weren't expecting on people was he like the
0: heartbeat of that he team's mark <laughs> atkins or was there that. like <laughs> it was nothing that left field
2: <laughs> and what can i ask a question about the wine was he did he get it out and put it on the table or was he pouring it? Yeah, under he, the he table? So own, he
0: pe- clearly was not prepared to drink the wine that was being supplied by Old Trafford conference. For surre- <laughs> surre- <laughs> but was he doing it surreptitiously? Surre- no, not even, not even, not, not even that. I think you know, he, he, at that point, when when would this have been? Two thousand and sixteen, maybe. So he, it's recent. Oh, yeah, fairly recent. He, you know, he just he did he couldn't care less. <laughs> couldn't care less. And he kept saying, "Who's who's the guy? Who's the PFA guy? Gordon Taylor." Former Blackburn, obviously, and and he, so he called Gordon Taylor over, and uh, and Gordon Taylor leans in on on Alex's Sir Alex's shoulders, and he says, Alex says, uh, he won't drink, he won't drink, <laughs> he won't drink, and he won't eat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and- Hey, Gordon Taylor stands there. He goes, well, let's just hope he's funny, Sir Alex. Shall we just- <laughs> oh, no, God. No no pressure. Absolutely no oh. pressure coming in. But I said that because he – because Sir uh, Alex said, he said, look, I'm not hanging around once I've done my QA. and I'd love to stay and watch her. Of course you would. But he, he, um, he had some workmen at home, and they'd been there for months. It was their last day, and he wanted to give them some cash for the weekend. Genuinely – Absolutely oh, legendary man, right? <laughs> just, just And oh, I yeah. went on stage and I said, "Oh, I'm wow. glad he's gone because I didn't want to tell him that." Um, when Brian Kidd took over, we all believed that Brian Kidd was the master <laughs> and the string puller. Like, not, I genuinely thought that that was the, that was, the, and that is why there's 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 no optimism in Blackburn because the, the minute it puts its head above the parapet, optimism it gets kicked off massive. <laughs>
2: Brian oh, yeah. Kidd was voted Manager of the Month straight away. <laughs> I remember thinking I was 100%, not that I cared, but I was 100% drinking the kid Kool-Aid. <laughs> like, I think the nation believed. I don't know why Brian, how Brian Kidd had got such a hold over the nation as Alex Ferguson's assistant.
4: <laughs> even now, in my head, I think he's a great manager, even though he failed. <laughs> I still can't believe
0: he's not great. I think because the whole uh, sort of 90% of the footballing world was so anti-United and and, and anti-Ferguson because of that, they were all willing him desperately to do well, to show that that he uh, and for United to to drop and that there'd be some kind of balance come up. And it was never, it was never, I remember there was a, a match towards the end of the season and we played United and we needed, you know, we needed the points. And Brian Kidd had laid out this team. And in the interview after the match, Alex Ferguson, in his, in his scalpel-like way, just said, but he didn't play that lad there. Now, if I was needing points, I'd have played that lad there. It was a very strange tactical decision. And just
2: oh. killed him off. Just killed him. <laughs> <laughs> in his autobiography, um, which... So Ferguson was very bitter. I think that Kidd had left and in his autobiography uh I'm he criticizes his, uh kid for cuz kid wanted to buy john hartson rather than dwight york and then I'm going <laughs> to uh, I'm going to uh, read you a quote from his autobiography which is i saw brian Kidd as a complex person often quite insecure particularly about his health which is a strange quote and then kid responded by saying i believe Walt Disney is trying to buy the film rights to his book as a sequel to Fantasia, which is such a pathetic (laughs) (laughs) put
0: Somebody's written that for Brian Kidd, you just know. know. (laughs)
2: Michael, as a Man U fan, what are your feelings on Brian Kidd? And were you believing?
3: No, because I think as a United fan, you know. Although that might be in hindsight, because we've had a whole series of assistant managers who I think got too big for their boots and probably thought that they were more important than they were because they run the training like Ferguson rarely runs the training but what that club was at that time that dynasty was built on him as the figurehead it's so much more than just going oh you're out of position there it's about the respect he commanded from everyone at that entire operation. But I think with Kid, the same with sort of certain people like there are people in business and sport like Michael Jordan, Phil Knight. The thing about Fergie is like he adored Brian Kidd. He absolutely adored him. But the moment you're not with me, you're against me. Like it's it's literally that simple. Like a history, loyalty, all of it's out the window. You're by my side, or you're the same as everyone else. And that was the fortress and that sort of mentality that he built. The moment kid left, it's like okay, nothing matters. You're 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 an enemy now. Yeah. And that that's how yeah. he ran that club for you know nine on thirty years.
0: It's an odd one though, isn't it Because he was part of that team that won the European Cup. He should yeah. be exalted as this this absolute legend. You know, second in command of Ferguson, the the winning the trophies again, and yet. He's just kind of, it's almost like Trotsky and Stalin's, like he's kind of airbrushed out a little bit.
2: Yeah. That's a very, I mean, that's, that's quite a harsh comparison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: But but Trotsky never paid 4.5 million for Ashley Ward from Barnsley. So. Right, fair enough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was probably pick treatment a lot earlier. <laughs>
2: <laughs> he, um, we, um, Brian Kidd. What we haven't touched on is occasionally you'll be watching Match of the Day and there'll be the Man City bench and he's still there. Like, you kind of, forget, don't like, you? Oh, fucking hell, he's still he's still doing <laughs> I, it. I always think
4: there's a glitch in the Matrix when I see that. Because the kid must be
2: 100 now. How's he still going? And he's getting younger. And he's working for Pep Guardiola. He's not working for Manuel Pellegrini. He's working for someone that you imagine doesn't put up with Fools. Do you know what I mean? Pep Guardiola's. I mean, I, I'd love to know whether Brian Kidd ever, ever mentions his brief <laughs> foray into first team management. It's so, it's right so, like two
4: different areas isn't it? It's like Trotsky going in the cabinet of Obama or something like that. It's like, what? How is this? This isn't right.
0: <laughs> do, you, do you reckon Pep ever turns around to him on the bench and goes, what would you do? We're losing, we're losing 4 2 to Leicester here. What would you do? And Brian Kidd goes, I'd put Gary Flickcroft up front. <laughs>
2: In a crucial European game, it's totally winnable. Um, can I take you through some of Brian Kids signings? Ashley Ward four point five, Jason Mcateer four point two five, Matt Janssen four point two five.
0: Yeah, he was great. He was great. was he? Yeah, he was. A bit, Matt Janssen was, a, was an exceptional player, and he was our top scorer. I think I can't remember what year, but he he was on the cusp of an England call up, and then he went to Italy on a on a weekend. Uh, crashed a moped and lost some um, motor ability. So he never played Yeah, oh. It's a very, very sad story. But he, w- he was a great player, mate Jansen.
2: God, oh. well, I feel bad now about finishing <laughs> on uh, Egg Lost and Stad, 4.25 million. What happened there? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what, what happened to him?
0: <laughs> he did come back, though. He did play lower down. Um but never never the same never the same talent that he was. No. Yeah.
2: Did Brian Kidd then take you down?
0: Yeah. And then he was still there, I think, for the start of the next season, but sacked by sacked by Christmas. And then Tony Parks did one of his I think he was caretaker manager about six times over the next seven years. <laughs>
4: <laughs> There's a nice synergy to the fact you kind of you ended the decade where you started it.
0: I almost. quite like that. I quite like that. Do you know? Because there there is, there's people often say that that football's a kind of roller coaster. But there wasn't a roller coaster because it didn't go up and down. We just went up and then straight back down again. We were kind <laughs> of, like, a hot, hot, hot air balloon that got shot and we
2: <laughs> So um Sunes comes in and actually yeah. does quite a good job.
0: Yeah. We won – this wasn't in the 90s, but we won whatever the League Cup was called, I think, in 2001. Which was very bizarre because I was listening to that. I don't know if you ever did the gig, Josh, uh, in Durham. If you did Comedy Store Manchester on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, you'd then Mm. go and do the Durham gig on a Sunday night, but you were driven over in this stretch limo. (laughs) and you turned up to Durham in the stretch limo with just these people looking at you and hating you already. Um, Why
2: are we being driven over in a stretch limo? Where I was the money that coming that, from?
0: That's what the comedy store booked for us. The, and, and it was just absurd, just utterly absurd. Um, but I remember listening to that final in that in the back of a stretch limo. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then a year later, sadder kind, but kind of just a circular kind of journey, Jack Walker dies and... Yeah. That must have been such a huge thing for the town.
0: Massive. Uh, just because you knew that that, that was all gone. Because he, he'd he always made it clear that he'd left a kind of... Um, was it a trust fund or a trust set-up to look after the club? But you knew that it wasn't the same level of funds in that because they were not necessarily fans in the in the way that Jack was a fan. So Was it his
2: kids or um, what, like... How did
0: I, it I don't think it was? I don't think it was the kids. I can't remember now, but they were more business orientated in the sense that they weren't going to throw money at it because it was their the love of their life as a club. They yeah. were looking at it going, let's just sell this and keep what money we have left. And yes. <laughs> and get the hell out as quickly as we can. You know, and that, but that I don't think that happened till about eight eight years later. But yeah. And know. Jack
2: Walker must just be heralded like more than Shearer or Dale Gleish as like just this the greatest figure in the history of the club right?
0: It's like the Wizard of Oz you know it, it's like it's, it's the statue of him outside the ground and people still talk about him now and you know it's one of these things that it's a bit like the French Resistance apparently he knew everybody did Jack all these people will come up with anecdotes about meeting Jack I think it never happened but you know it's he's it's a huge figure absolutely massive Yeah
2: I, it's an amazing journey but I'm Obviously, now Blackburn aren't in as good a position. No. Would you? I mean, I know what I'd answer to this, but would you trade what happened with the league? But then with Venkis? or would you prefer to be safely in the Premier League like Burnley are now?
0: Oh no, I wouldn't trade that. I wouldn't trade that at all. Uh, that it was a, that brief moment in the sun, and and I and I've and a lot of other Blackburn supporters. You know, if if they're thinking right, they'd go, what we've got now is, I think, as best as we could hope. We are still functioning as a club. There's so much competition for clubs in the Northwest that for Mm -hmm. us functioning at a decent level, you know, halfway up the championship, that's fine. Just stay there. Just don't go bust. Don't go up. Don't go up and spend a load of money. Just just stay where you are and, and just exist. And that's fine because we got that thing, you know, 25 years ago, we had that.
2: Do you feel like in a weird way, like as a fan, like I always think, oh, well, I don't always, I kind of convince myself, oh, it's good that England didn't win the World Cup because when that happens, I've still got that to come. But do you yeah. feel in a weird way like you've completed the computer game of football? You've had that moment and now you're just kind of, you know,
0: yes. I do I, at a club level. I do, yeah. I can enjoy football for you know. I don't feel I've never been overly partisan. I can't be tribal. It's that's not that's not how I see football anyway. But I, you know, I lived through that, and it's that, and that's like I said before, that final day of being in the pub and and, and all of that that came with it, and the, the the end of the season when we might lose it. That's just something that I don't I don't need to go through that again. To be perfectly honest with it, it was fine. It was fine. I'm done now. And as for the World Cup thing, I I I'm French now. I got, through, I got my my French nationality came through two days before the World Cup final in. Oh. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd ever see my nation win. Amazing.
2: <laughs> do you support? Do you, do you follow? Like you've got two sons, is it? Or I've got three sons? Three yeah. sons. And yeah. how old are they?
0: Nineteen, fifteen, and eleven. Are they French football fans? English? How does it work? They're they're very much English. My eldest son is a United fan. My my middle son is a Chelsea fan, and my younger son's an Arsenal fan. So if if Blackburn has taught them anything, it's try and pick winning teams.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And do you go to football in France?
0: Yeah, but a quite low level because my my club over here is Tour, um, and they were they were uh, League A. Five or six years ago, but through various financial irregularities, shall we say, <laughs> they, just keep, they just keep getting demoted every season. They just get <laughs> demoted. Another. I think they're currently playing under 15 football in the Loire Valley. That's how badly they've been demoted now. So they were a great club, but that, that's yeah. my team. So we do. My son, my middle son, plays at a high level and he was at a, a French football academy last year. So oh, I wow. do so I see a lot of local football.
2: And would he represent England or France?
0: He would say, he would always say England, but I wouldn't let him. <laughs> <laughs>
4: um, well, we always ask one final question of our guests, but actually I've got two final questions for you. The what? first of which, Paul Warhurst, centre-back or striker? Striker.
0: <laughs> wow. Really? Got striker. Got striker. He was quite useless as a centre-back, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Get out of the Up front.
4: <laughs> uh, and our second last question: If you could turn back the clock to January first, nineteen ninety, and relive that decade all over again, would you?
0: Yeah, yeah, I definitely would. I definitely would. I, um, yeah, not just for the football, for many, for many other things. Many many uh, <laughs> mistakes made along. I'd never start stand up again. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I get a decent bloody job get a trade as my dad
2: <laughs> get a job at jack walker steelworks
0: Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. um ian moore it's been an absolute pleasure thank you very much hope you enjoyed thank reliving you. the greatest period of blackburn's it's history been,
0: it's been great just doing the research was quite emotional i have to say <laughs>
2: That was Ian Moore. Guys, did you like Blackburn in the 90s?
3: I didn't, for obvious reasons.
4: Um, I'd love to ask this question. Was there anyone in your school who started supporting Blackburn? Yes, there was. Out of nowhere. How many people?
2: To my knowledge, there was one kid who supported Blackburn. That was it. And also, um, to my knowledge, he was the most boring person in my year. Blackburn does strike me as quite a, a boring club. Do you know what I
3: mean? Awful thing to say, isn't it? I remember, no one at my school, but I remember playing at youth football and a player on the opposing team turned up in that half-and-half, half, like, blue and white Blackburn shirt. And I think he said something like, oh, yeah, no, like, my granddad's from Blackburn or, like, some oh, I hate like that. that. Up. But I bet that guy's regretting his life choices now.
2: Oh, no, he's not because he supports
3: Man City. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> um, there was
4: one kid in my school and he went from Spurs to Blackburn, which really kind of stuck in my craw. But he did wear – He would like. I was quite exciting on Unclosed Day when he, this kid would wear a Blackburn shirt because to see a Blackburn shirt up close, I do think it is the best kit of the 90s. It is a beautiful kit. What? Yeah, it what? really is. The one they it's win not the, even top 10. The one they win the Premier League in is a fantastic kit. McEwen's lager, isn't it? You've got the little – the string up top. The blue and white looks fantastic. It is an electric kit.
2: It's a really good blue. In honour of Blackburn Rovers and to calm down the situation. <laughs> I'm livid. Yeah, I bet you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I am going to conduct our final quiz. All the questions will be between the two of you. They're on Sir Kenny Dalgleish. Three questions each and then there'll be a tiebreaker if not. Chris, question one. Name the two clubs Kenny Dalgleish played for in his career. Um, Celtic and Liverpool. Correct. Michael. Can you name three clubs that Kenny Dalglish managed?
3: Uh, Liverpool, Blackburn, Newcastle. Correct. He was also caretaker
2: at Celtic, but I think that is yeah. that is tough. Next question. In his career, Chris, how many league titles did Kenny Dalglish win? I will give you one either side.
4: Uh, how many league titles...
2: In his career with Celtic and Liverpool.
4: Oh, with Celtic as well. Oh, my God.
3: Oh, that's that's really tough.
4: <laughs> He's got one either side.
3: All
2: right.
4: Can you tell me how long his playing career was? Yes. And, I'll, and that, that might be an easy way to Yeah, that's
2: fine. That's acceptable.
4: How many seasons did His
2: playing career was from 1969 to 1990, 21 years. How many of those years ended with him winning the league?
4: I, had it, I was going to go with 17, but I think that could be high.
2: Do uh, you know what? I'm going to go for
4: it, actually. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say 17 league titles.
2: You think you won league 17 out of 21
4: times?
3: Jesus. That's, yeah, that's high.
4: Is that high? I thought the answer of 10 was
2: quite impressive. But... <laughs>
4: <laughs> but Celtic, I thought, if you've got Canadian Dalglish in your team, you're winning your league every year. And then that Liverpool side he's in is one of the most dominant. So four seasons not winning the league... That is high, oh, actually. That is high, isn't it? Yeah, that is that high. Is, right, high.
2: Michael, I'm not going to give you one either side because it's a much lower number. How many European Cups did he win as a player?
3: Oh. Oh. <sighs> I think it's
2: three. Correct. It's 2-1 to Michael. Okay. Kenny Dalglish moved from Celtic to Liverpool in August 1977. I'm going to give you a hundred thousand pounds either side of his of his transfer fee. It's between zero. It's it's between zero and a million pounds to stay in the game.
4: Oh, man, I, it's not going to be a lot. I don't think it's more than half a million. Pr- I'm going to go three hundred fifty thousand. It's four hundred
2: and forty. He's got the point. It's an unbelievable oh, moment. Lovely. No one lovely was expecting that. that. Okay, Michael, to win it, Kenny Dalgleish played 102 games for Scotland. I'll give you three either side on the <laughs> amount of goals he scored. I mean, that's <laughs> that feels tough. Uh,
4: <laughs> I, have to, I wouldn't even know what to guess here.
3: He's played 102 games, and he's, he's one of the best
2: strikers in the world, so...
3: I don't know. See, I don't know how prolific he was. I don't know whether he was a sort of Cantona type, where he scored a lot of important goals, but wasn't banging you know twenty five, thirty a season every season. I'm going to say, uh, what have I got? Either way,
2: three. You did. You Chris was talking you into five, but then actually, I just stuck with three. Either way,
3: okay. You say one hundred and two. Yeah. Cats. Okay. Okay. Uh, one in four is a good record. I'm going to say... Uh, t- 26.
2: Oh, my God. It's 30. Yeah, you, You've won off. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh.
1: come on. Oh.
2: So... No? no t- the tiebreaker. In 2018, <laughs> Kenny Dalgleish was knighted for services to football charity in the city of Liverpool. He already had an MBE... In which year's New Year's Honours list did Kenny Dalglish had he achieved enough to win an MBE? Win, get an MBE. Chris,
3: you can go first.
4: I'd go early nineties. I'm going to go ninety two. Ninety two. Michael.
3: So is it a closest?
4: So closest, a yeah. And because you got because you. Oh, mind you, I don't remember him being called MBE in the nineties. Because they would have to say it, wouldn't they? Or oh, do they?
3: No, it's kind of your... No, I'll stick my guess.
4: I'll stick my guess. 92.
3: Then I'm going to play a tactical earlier guess and say 1990. It was 1985.
2: Oh. Really? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Well, oh, that's
3: really early. So, Michael, what
2: would you like to uh, play us out with?
3: Um, In honour in honor of uh, the late Jack Walker, who we all yes. know made his money via uh, steel which is a form of metal, yes. I'm going to pick uh, a 90s metal track. I'm going to pick November Rain by Guns N' Roses.
4: And that wraps up this week. Robbie Slater, see you later.